This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. When you look back at the whole idea of what revealing is, is to take off the cover, then you understand how this idea of suppressing the truth, putting it in a box and putting the lid on it, falls together. They have suppressed the truth by putting it in a box, putting a lid on it, and sitting it. But God is going to reveal the truth. He's going to take the lid off the cover, and He's going to reveal the truth to us. Today, in our time of study, we'll be reminded that repentance is key in the life of a believer. First and foremost, in order to be saved, we need to have a humble heart of repentance, one that is ready to turn away from sin and follow after the ways of God. But repentance doesn't stop there. You see, in this walk of faith, God will continue to reveal sin. He is faithful to continue and complete the work that He has begun in us. But we have to be willing to recognize our sin, confess, and repent. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, for part one of our message entitled, The Revealing. This morning's uh, message is called The Revealing. We're going to cover only a couple of verses, a few verses this morning, verses 18 to 23. The Revealing is what we're going to be speaking about. Paul says that, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The fact is, is that the gospel is available to all mankind to those that would believe. And as he said, to the Jew first, the message came to them, and then also for the Greek. And when he speaks to the Greek, understand who he's writing to here. He's speaking to a Roman culture, a Roman church, and the Greek uh, society that surrounded them. In essence, he means for the Jew first, and then for everyone else. The message came to the Jews first, and then it went out to the rest of the world, including you and I. And along with what he said in verse 16 is what verse 17 says, that for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live by faith. And that word revealed is what I want you to focus in on this morning. As a matter of fact, if you've got your Bible there, it's okay to write in it. And you can circle that word revealed, and we're going to be speaking about that a little this morning. Revealed. And if you don't write in your Bible, you know what you have to do. You have to lean to the person next to you and write in theirs, okay? So you can circle it or highlight it in their Bible. The very next word in the, the area that we're going to be looking at this morning is in verse 18. And in a moment we'll read these scriptures, but where he says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them, the wrath of God being revealed. Thus, the title this morning, The Revealing. So, if you'd follow along with me, I'm going to read beginning in verse 18 of chapter 1 of Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. His whole understanding is, is that God revealed to them his truth, and yet man denied it. I want to take a look first at that very word reveal, to reveal. It comes from the Greek word apokalupto, and means to take off the cover, i.e. to disclose or to reveal. Again, that the word apocalypse, that's where that word comes from, from the, the root word of apocalypto. We get the literally the apocalypse of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the revelation, that's where that word comes from. But the meaning of it is rather interesting, and this isn't my definition. This comes from Strong's Concordance, and it says, to take off the cover, literally, to take off the cover, to disclose, to reveal, in order that you might see what is there. We see in these two verses that we've looked at so far in verse 17 and 18, that first of all, the very righteousness of God is revealed. And how was it revealed? It was revealed through the gospel, and we talked about that last week. The fact that God has a standard. God's holiness and God's requirement is holiness, righteousness. And yet, because of the sin of man, we couldn't match up to that standard. Therefore, he sent Christ to die on our behalf, and that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord and trust in him and give their lives to him would be saved. God didn't lower his righteous standard in order to do that. In essence, God revealed his righteousness even more because he sent his son to die on our behalf. But yet in verse 18, it says, now, though, the wrath of God is revealed. Fact is, is the wrath of God is going to come against his will in a moment against the ungodliness and the unrighteousness. Now, the great thing is, is you and I as believers... If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the wrath of God is not appointed for us. The wrath of God is appointed to the non-believer, to those who in their ungodliness and unrighteousness have continued to deny God and reject God in their lives. But yet you and I know that little word of discipline, don't we? We could probably go around the room and say, have you experienced the discipline of God in your life, and uh, probably every one of you would raise your hand, and if you didn't raise your hand, there'd probably be one of two things going on. Either you don't know God, and therefore you don't know His discipline, or He gave you His discipline, and well, you're, I can use the word, you're too ignorant to understand it was the discipline of God in your life. God will discipline His children. The Word promises us that He does, and as I look around the room, I don't see anyone that's reached perfection yet to where you would not need the discipline, the instruction, and the correction of God. But when we speak of his wrath, that's a much more powerful thing. You see, when he disciplines us, he disciplines us in great love. And aren't you glad that he does? That he doesn't discipline us in wrath. But when his wrath comes, there will be an absolute 
total difference between the disciplining and what this wrath is. He says the wrath is going to come against ungodliness. Ungodliness there in verse 18. And ungodliness is irreligion or the lack of reverence toward God. The, the word and the context of it, he's speaking about that relationship of man to God. I'm living as though there is no God. I'm living as if I am the one who is in charge of my life from my birth until my death. I'm living as though I could do anything. I'm not answerable to anyone. That's what ungodliness is. He says, but the wrath of God is also revealed against the unrighteousness. My version says the unrighteousness of men, but a better translation would be the unrighteousness toward men. The lack of right conduct toward men and injustice. And I believe that we can look around the world today and it's very easy both to see the ungodliness, the lack of acknowledging God, but also the unrighteousness, our relationship with man. All we have to do is look at the reality of our society and see the the abortions, the, the murders, the mistreatments that come against mankind. And we realize that we are surrounded not only in ungodliness, but unrighteousness toward men in every aspect of our society today. But you know, beloved, God is concerned for us. He's concerned with both directions of our relationships. And when I say both directions of our relationships, I mean the vertical relationship between us and God and also the horizontal relationship. That unrighteousness toward men or among men deals with that horizontal relationship. Both devotion and repentance speak to us in that vertical relationship. I have to be devoted to God and there needs to be repentance in my life. You cannot separate the two and say that I have one but not the other because you really would have neither. I cannot say that I'm wholly devoted to God in my life and not have repentance. You can't keep living in an unrepentant state, in a state of ungodliness, and yet say that you're devoted to God. And neither can you have real and true repentance in your life Unless there is devotion to God. You see, they come hand in hand. I can say, well, I I turn over a new leaf. I'm sorry for what I've done. But real and true repentance means that I turn from my sin and I'm turning toward God. That means that changes need to take place in my life because the Holy Spirit is working and moving in my life. And real repentance cannot take place until there is true devotion. And true devotion cannot take place until there is real repentance in our lives. And that's in that vertical relationship. But also in the horizontal, we deal with love and service. We might go out and we might serve our fellow human beings in a multitude of ways. We might do all kinds of good works and think that that's going to be enough. But you know what? Unless there is real and true love in our life for those that are around us, that service becomes what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says it becomes like a clanging cymbal. It's just noise. And it's not going to do any good. I cannot say that I'm serving really and truly my brother if I don't have a love for him. And neither can I say that I have a real and true love for my brother if I'm not serving him. 
You see, they go together. We have to have both in our lives. So we see that in this whole area of ungodliness and unrighteousness toward man, that God is dealing with it. But one other area that he brings out here is this whole idea that those who uh, are ungodly and who work in unrighteousness, they are the ones who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Suppressing the truth. It's interesting in this whole idea of suppressing the truth. Some of your versions might say holding the truth. Neither one of those really give a full understanding of, of what the word means when he says suppressing the truth in unrighteousness or even holding the truth in unrighteousness. There's a gentleman by the name of R.T. Robertson who is a, a Bible scholar and a, and a translator. And he brings it out this way that, Truth is out in the open, but wicked men, so to speak, put it in a box and sit on the lid and hold it down in unrighteousness. In other words, God's truth is revealed, and we're going to look at that in a moment. God's truth is revealed all around us. But unrighteous, godless men take that truth literally and put it in a box, close the lid, sit on the lid, and hold it down. I'm not going to let the truth out because I'm going to declare my lies. I'm going to declare my untruth. The visual to me is literally that there's a box that the truth is sitting on and those who do not follow God sit on it and they're not going to allow anyone to gain that truth. They're going to do everything they can to keep the truth from getting out. The reality is, is at the end of days, God will take those goats and separate them from his sheep. And the judgment of eternity will come upon him. The very wrath of God being poured out. It's interesting also in both of these, and that whole idea of suppressing the truth. In verse 18 and also in verse 25, which we're not going to get to today. We read this idea, well, in verse 18, it says that they are suppressing the truth. But over in verse 25, it says that they exchange the truth. And what do they exchange the truth for? They exchange the truth of God for the lie. I have the truth, but I've got it in this box, and I'm sitting on the box. And let me tell you the lies. And I want to grab the lies rather than the truth. I want to believe lies rather than the truth. Because, you see... I don't have to be responsible. I don't have to answer to the lies that I create. But if the truth is revealed, then I do need to answer them. When you look back at the whole idea of what revealing is, is to take off the cover, then you understand how this idea of suppressing the truth, putting it in a box and putting the lid on it, falls together. They have suppressed the truth by putting it in a box, putting a lid on it, and sitting it. But God is going to reveal the truth. He's going to take the lid off the cover, and he's going to reveal the truth to us. Verse 19 speaks to us when he says that he will manifest in them, or that this truth, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them both manifest in them as well as shown it to them. 
This very word manifest is a word that they use in the whole idea of, of shipping or uh, the ships of old would carry a manifest. And on that manifest, it would declare all who is on the ship, all that the ship is carrying, the destination, the port that it left. It would declare everything about that. And when it says that because of what may be known of God is manifest in them, it speaks of the reality that when we are born, God brings within our lives the reality of who he is. And yet because of our sin nature, we continue to reject that and we begin believing the lie rather than the truth. But yet God has also not only manifested within man, but he's also shown to men in a multiple of ways. I think about it this way. If I were to get on the freeway out here and I'm driving from Casa Grande to Phoenix and I just get on the freeway, I don't necessarily see a speed limit sign right away. And so I'm just cruising along, not really paying attention to my speed, not really paying attention to a whole lot. I'm just kind of a point A to point B kind of guy. I want to get there not really paying attention to my speed, I'm driving, and suddenly I look behind me, and it's Christmas. There's lights going everywhere. So I realize, nope, that's not Santa Claus. I pull over, and the officer comes out, and he's a very nice guy, very gentleman sort. In fact, he wants to get to know me a little bit better, and so he he asks for my ID, and uh, I give it to him, and again, very gracious and very kind, he says, Mr. Landry, do you realize how fast you were going? And I have to be honest with him and say, no, I don't. I'm just kind of a point A to point B kind of guy. I really wasn't paying much attention to the speed. He says, well, sir, you were going about 82 miles an hour. And the posted speed limit is less than that. I tell you what, Mr. Landry, since you weren't really aware of what was going on, I want to make manifest to you. I want to declare to you what the speed limit is. And I'm just going to give you a warning at this point in time. And I say, oh, thank you, sir. You have a wonderful day. May you and your family and your children be blessed. And uh, so I get back on the freeway and I'm cruising along, not really caring about a whole lot, just knowing, hey, I got off on that one. And I'm cruising along, and then suddenly there goes flying by me this big old huge sign that says 75 miles per hour. I think, hmm, where have I heard that before? But I pay no heed to the sign. It's been manifest to me as the officer pulled me over and declared to me the truth of what the speed was. And now it's been shown to me by the sign. And in a moment, it's Christmas behind me again. And this time, as the officer pulls me over, he's not nearly as gracious. And he comes up to me and says, Mr. Landry, did I not explain to you back 10 miles ago that the speed limit was 75? I can't deny the truth. Yes, you did. And didn't I show you what the speed limit sign was? Didn't the state provide for you this beautiful sign that said 75 miles per hour? I can't deny it. At that point, it's not only been manifest to me in grace, but now the law comes and declares to me 75 miles an hour and you've broken the law. Every bit of judgment that the law has, I'm now due. 
because of the guilt, because God manifested to me, and then it was shown to me. And in the same way, God has manifested himself, declared himself to all of humanity, even from the point of our birth, because we can go to societies and cultures far, far from our Western culture, to the deepest and darkest, most backward of places. And yet within that culture, they have a knowledge or an understanding that there is some being. We don't know who he is. We may have a different name for him. But there is someone who is greater than we are. Perhaps we burn sacrifices to him. Perhaps we say prayers or do ceremonies to him. But it's interesting that in every culture of man throughout every generation, the reality that there is a supreme being is known to mankind. And yet, time after time after time, we suppress the knowledge of the truth. We put it in a box. We put the lid on it. And we sit on it. And would rather believe the lie than the truth. Because you know what? I don't have to answer to it. I don't have to answer to the lie. God has manifested himself in a multiple of ways to us. He's manifested himself to us in the very wonder of life. When you think of, as we hear a baby cry or we see a little baby and we see the just the wonder of human life how these small little cells began to come together and then divide apart and begin in such a small little way until suddenly there's a child that's ready to be born. And when that child is born, the uniqueness of that child compared to all the other millions, say even billions of other people on the earth, that one child is unique among them all. That's not happen chance. That's not just a routine way. That's by design. We can look at our hands. And each one of our fingerprints, not all are they different than the other hand, But you know what? My fingerprints are different than yours. My fingerprints are different than yours. As a matter of fact, my fingerprints are different than the nearly 4 billion people in the world. It's unique unto me. By happenstance, by random putting together, the odds of that are miraculous. And I've got ten choices here just within this group of saying, okay, within these ten, how many of your ten may even come close to match? No, it's unique unto me. The irises of our eyes are so intricately different, even more so, they say, and easier to detect than a fingerprint, that they use that now in high security, that they'll read the iris of your eye because even both of my eyes are different and they're different than all the eyes of the world. Not only of the ones who are present now, but the ones who ever were. Now, folks, that is astounding. God has manifested the reality of his creative power by that. The DNA that makes you who you are that builds up who your person is, your height, your color, your physical features, not only that, but your personality, your mental thought, all of that, your DNA is so specific only to you that investigators can go back to crime scenes 20, 30 years ago, and if they can get any shred of DNA evidence, they can bring it now 20, 30 years later. And match it up to one single 
individual. Random, happenstance, survival of the fittest. No, I think I'd be a fool if I would say that, oh, that just kind of happens that way. Just by the sheer numbers, there would have to be repeats in there someplace. But yet there's not. He manifests himself in the wonder of life. But not only the wonder of physical life of humans, he also manifests himself in the beauty of all of creation. We can look at the world around us, and really and truly, the world is a beautiful place. Now, I guarantee you that there are some places in the world that aren't so beautiful. They're a little barren, and they're a little rugged, but yet, even within that, there is a particular beauty that's there. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, again, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word teachings are always available to you free of charge, if you'd like to help support this ministry, simply log on to our homepage at TheOpenWord.com and click on the support link to make a secure donation to this teaching ministry. Your donation can be set up as a one-time or regularly scheduled tax-deductible gift to this ministry. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.